Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas who was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. He was there. And the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for him what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowds to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off their purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. A certain man named A certain man from Cyrene named Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insult at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now it was the preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some Linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Episode 13 of Shook. As I read that tonight, and maybe as you listened... The question that comes to my mind is, how did things get out of hand so quickly? How do things in life get turned upside down in a moment's notice? Now, I want you to remember that, that we're trying to track along with this, this story the way it was experienced. And for the people watching all of this happen, the followers of Jesus, those women who were observing all of these things, and the rest of his followers who had the courage to actually hang in there with him. This was not the picture of the Lamb of God, you know, willingly going to offer himself for the sins of the world. This was not John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They didn't see that part of it yet. For them, this was a, a horrible plot twist. This was Uh, an unjust accusation, an unjust execution. This was confusing and tragic. This was a God-forsaken ending. I think it's also a cautionary tale, um, just about how quickly the public can be swept up into a frenzy. You know, in one moment, the The crowds are yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waving palm branches on Palm Sunday. And days later, they're yelling, crucify him. Maybe that's something that that we can think about in our day, that public opinion gets gets swept up in a frenzy. People are fickle in their opinions. And and, and we should maybe, uh, maybe keep some safe distance from all of that. But regardless, this was not the ending of Jesus's story that anyone saw coming. After all of the miracles, after all, and you can hear it in the taunting, right? You've saved others, but you can't save yourself. You've done great things. Then why don't you do something great now? This, even his enemies didn't see really this coming. But here's what I can say, that the ending they saw, it wasn't the ending that God had in mind. 
I think a lot about that right now, that, that truth, um, as we deal with this whole virus thing. Everyone is telling us how this virus story is going to end. Everyone's got their opinions, and some people, beyond opinions, they're, they're experts, and they have data. They're, they're brilliant minds who have real-life experience with other diseases. We've got people telling us how this thing might end based on case studies and mathematical models and research. And, and who knows? Maybe they're right. Maybe they know what the rest of us don't know. I, I don't doubt them. Here's what I can say, though, that we as people, we often see endings. We predict endings to stories that never come to be because those aren't the endings that God himself has in mind. See, the toll of this disease itself, it, it could be different than what we expect. It's played out differently in different countries. Who, who knows what God might do here? And not only that, even if this disease has its way and, and we have the tragedy that everyone fears most, who's to say ultimately what God does in the aftermath? in the ashes of all of that loss. Who's to say what, what God does after this disease might have its worst? See, beyond the virus, this truth applies, I, I think, just to everything else in life, doesn't it? Uh, in life, if you belong to the family of God, then, then here's what I can tell you. The ending that you see coming for you is usually never the ending that God has in mind unless your ending is based first and foremost on what God says. And you think about how often in life we become fearful or, or we become maybe overly confident. We become certain of some ending we see based on our wisdom, based on our projections, based on our ability to, to play things out in our minds. And I, I know I'm guilty of this, but, but the reality is the endings that we see, whether good or bad, they're seldom the endings that God himself has in mind. Which in one way is kind of scary, isn't it? It makes life feel very unsafe, very unpredictable. Those of us who like control are going to struggle with that loss of control. But I want to tell you tonight that it's, it's actually good. It's, it's a very good thing that the endings we see are seldom the endings that God has in mind. And here's why. One simple reason. Because God writes far better endings than anything we could imagine. It's true even in the natural world. Uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this lately, and I've even mentioned it to some people. Um, we learned this from devastating wildfires or forest fires. And I've talked about this before. Um, when a wildfire is coming or a forest fire is coming, I mean, it is, it is horrific. It is scary. There's a lot of loss of property and life. It seems absolutely horrific. And yet, in the aftermath of a wildfire, forest fire, we know that there are certain plants, there are certain flowers, beautiful flowers that only grow in the char of what that fire caused. We know that there are certain trees that will then begin to regrow. We know there's certain animals that will find a habitat there. See, what we see as a horrible ending, we see catastrophic loss in the natural world that God created. He has a different ending in mind. And even in those moments of incredible loss, God does things to bring new life. Or I think about that in Acts chapter 8, 
Uh, Acts chapter 8, this, this is a little later, so I don't want to mess up the chronology for you. This is after Jesus dies, rises, and ascends. Um, the apostles begin preaching in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 8, a persecution breaks out against the church. And all Christians are under a persecution. They're being threatened. They're being killed. And the church scatters. And suddenly, uh, a guy in particular by the name of Philip, who was nothing more than a, a person who took care of widows and helped feed them, he's now scattered along with everyone else. And he finds himself in different places, far from home, in foreign lands, preaching the gospel, and people start believing it. And Acts 8, I'm sure to the church at the time, felt like, felt like a, a horrible, tragic ending to their story. It was a persecution that was costing life and wrecking their economy and wrecking their home life. And, and yet because of the ending God saw, because of what God did through all of that, the gospel that was kind of contained in Jerusalem at that time, it began to spread all over the world. And people who were not even Jewish, people who were foreigners and aliens began to hear about Jesus and they began to believe in him. Or I think way back in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Joseph. Now, um, in, the, in the reading today, there was a guy named Joseph. And there's also Joseph, the uh, father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. So lots of Josephs. But there was a guy in the Old Testament uh, named Joseph back in Genesis. And I talked about him the other day that um, he has this tragic story where he's betrayed by his brothers. They try to kill him. Then they decide not to kill him. They sell him into slavery. They lie to their father, say he's dead. They leave him for dead. He's sold into slavery, carried off to a foreign land. He's thrown into prison twice. I mean, just his, his life is tragic. And yet, the ending that Joseph saw for himself, the ending that his brothers who wanted to cause harm to him saw for him was not the ending God had in mind. And so God finds a way to bless Joseph. He, he brings him to a great position. He uses Joseph to save his whole family, to bring the nation of Israel to live in Egypt and, in a, and to provide protection for them. And there's this moment where Joseph realizes all this. He, he realizes that his, his life circumstances weren't necessarily God's fault, but he realizes that God writes better endings. And so he says to his brothers, and his brothers are, are terrified because they realize that he's now in power and They've done a great sin, committed a great sin against him. And, and yet Joseph turns and looks at them and he says, hey, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. See, God is, is a God who consistently writes better endings than any we can imagine. He, he writes better endings than any that, that we can see. And I haven't even gotten to Easter yet, which is what we're going to talk about prematurely next Wednesday night. That's the moment where we see that all of this tragedy, this senseless death of Jesus, the Son of God, the injustice, this horrible plot twist, God was doing something with it. God envisioned an ending that would not only be great for Jesus, but it would be an ending that would be salvation for the whole world. See, no matter the ending that we can see or imagine, God has better endings in mind. And maybe right now um, in our day, we're also struggling not just with that reality, but this forgotten Christian truth, this truth that Jesus taught us, that uh, where he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This truth that 
death, this thing that we look upon as the worst ending ever. And, and we see a, anyone's ending that ends in death, and we assume that that's a horrible, tragic ending. And yet God says for his people, for his family, even in death, we see it as senseless and, and all lost. God says, even in death, I've got a better ending in mind for you. And I can even make meaning of your death in the here and now for everyone else. Yeah, it's true that death is tragic. Unless God is in the mix. Then death, even death, can bring life and redemption. Now, just one other note, as uh, we think about Mark 15 tonight, that was our reading from tonight. Um, Maybe in all of this, we also see how fruitless it is to get so far ahead of ourselves in life. Since the ending that we see is rarely the ending that God has in mind, and since we as people, you know, in all of the, all of the envisioning we do of the best case endings we can imagine, the, God just far outdoes us every time he can write better endings. Maybe that's a cautionary tale to us, too, that we shouldn't live getting so far ahead of ourselves. Maybe it's a, it's a reminder that we need to live, like Jesus said, a little more focused on this moment, on what we know how to do and what to do today, and, and maybe even tomorrow, but not getting too far ahead of ourselves. Because no matter how much we try, we can't see fully the ending that God has in mind. And I know for me, over the last few weeks— I'm a planner. I like to have a long-range plan. And I continually find myself being frustrated the moment we make a plan and then things change and the plan goes out the window and we waste all, wasted all that time in planning to now have to make another plan. And I'm learning that maybe all along I'm, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, it's good to have plans, but to hold them loosely. But more important, it's good to live in expectation that God is working something out far beyond anything that I can see. He's writing a better ending to this story, my story, your story, our story together. And so for us, maybe we should just give more of our focus to living life day by day, step by step, not worrying about tomorrow, knowing that each day has enough trouble of its own, as Jesus says. Maybe we're all better off, and, and, and again, maybe this is one of the things God can use to redeem all of this hardship and tragedy and loss and fear that's going through our world right now, maybe we can learn to live taking each day as it comes in faith, letting God write the endings, knowing that he always has better endings in mind. Let me pray. God in heaven, I thank you that... Um, these, these final moments of Jesus' earthly life that we've reflected on tonight, that they were not the end. And God, if, if I were there watching this happen, I don't think I could have ever imagined how you could have redeemed all of that, all of the loss, all of the tragedy, all of the, all of the just gore and uh, abuse and God, I, I can't imagine. And yet you did. Within 36 hours, you took this moment of dark, horrific, hopeless tragedy, and you redeemed it. 
and, and you brought your son back to life and you brought not just him to life, but you brought us to life. You made a way for us to come to life. God, that's just proof that the endings you see are so much better than the endings that we see. So God, help us in our moments of fear and doubt, our moments where we get too far ahead of ourselves, where we start to, to plan our best case scenarios. God, remind us to hold all those things loosely. Remind us to live each day as it comes, to be faithful with the day that you give us, but to trust you to write our endings for us. God, I specifically want to pray again for our world right now, for our nation, but also our world as we work against this virus. Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom to our political leaders. I pray that you would give creativity and innovation to our doctors and scientists and people in industry. God, I pray that you would help us find solutions to to all of the problems that are facing our world. God, uh, give guidance to economists, give guidance through social scientists and therapists. Use those of us who know and love you to give guidance so that we might find a solution that's good for the whole of our society. But God, I pray that you would turn your hand against this virus, especially for the sake of those that you love, that you'd protect us and keep us. But God, in our moments of fear, whether we're healthy or sick, whether this goes in the direction we want it to or not, keep us mindful, God, that you ultimately get to write the ending. And that no matter what happens, no matter how dark or tragic it looks, you're the God who brings new life, even in death. So Lord, we commend the situation to you. And I speak with Job of old, of of ancient times, When I say, I don't know your mind, I can't trace out your paths. And so I simply say, whatever you do, blessed be your name. You're a God who gives and takes away, but you're a God who is always good. And you're faithful to write for us and for our world endings that are so much better than anything we can dream of. God, help us believe that. And let us be people of infectious hope carrying a different kind of energy and message and and joy into the world so that scared and hopeless, fearful people who are fearing the worst might find what we have in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who taught us to pray. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.